The theme for the afternoon talk is the emptiness of our perceptions. In the exploration uh, with you this afternoon, I'd like to speak on this theme. Initially, of course, give some explanation and definition of the term. Often with such explorations, it isn't always easy to follow. Some of it just goes, maybe all of it, as it were, straight over one's head. No problem. Just wave it goodbye. <laughs> Others may listen, and in the activity of the listening, it may just reach a mental <coughs> level, intellectual, conceptual level, and that's where it lands. Again, no problem. That's where it lands. For others, it may touch a place of uh, heart feeling, response uh, in that way. So be it. And others, in the flow and in the scheme of things, may possibly translate itself into an understanding which is insightful and beneficial, and therefore is not over the head, not in their head, and not just touching on the place of feeling and emotional life. So with perception first, and then flow. Perception in the Dharma language, very simple meaning, is that which recognizes. So for a small example, when my eyes are closed and I open the eyes, the actual immediacy of what occurs is a bare sense impression, essentially just some colour on the eyeball, bare sense impression. Almost simultaneously and so fast that we can't really distinguish the difference, there is the recognition. So I close my eyes, I open my eyes and oh my god it's a group of people. <laughs> and that act of recognition is there. People in a room sitting together. Following on from that bare perception and the bare feeling, oh, pleasant feeling, people here, inquiring people, meditative people, from that initial pleasant feeling, rec simple recognition, I then may have some thoughts about. Some of those thoughts may express a wise and clear reflection. Oh, people are here, we are engaged in the process of meditation, we are inquiring together, <coughs> we want to see clearly about the way things are there. Uh, but the thinking about may extend itself further. One might start isolating a person or persons in the room, one might be forming all sorts of opinions and judgments, uh, etc. There can be a lot of thinking about. The more we think about, the more likely it is that we get further and further away from the original perception. The original perception is there are a group of people in the room, and what is just one of the group of people. <coughs> and what the further away I go from the original perception, the more I rely 
and depend upon the fuel of thinking about. And then I build up a picture about what is here. It has little to do with the bare actuality. It has a lot to do with what I'm thinking. I then may react to this volume of thinking which is taking place and I begin to react on my level of thinking. So then I begin to think about what? Not about the group of people. Not about anything else. I begin to think about my thinking. Why am I thinking so much? I can't stop thinking. (laughs) This thinking is persecuting me. I'll never be able to stop thinking. This thinking is a problem. I started off with just opening my eyelids. And I've ended up hating myself for thinking. (laughs) And I have no idea how I have moved from the original perception with the feeling and recognition to the thinking about to the extravagance of the thinking that may be going on and forgetting this, as the Buddha said, sanya, sam, perception of sanya samkara samkhan yeah, yeah old Buddhist monks say no much more than me and the Buddha says there is a, there, it is a perception of the thinking right? so the originally it's a perception of the group from the original perception of the group it goes to thinking about the group I get more and more out of touch with the group and I begin to believe and identify in all my views, opinions about the group. I then begin to react at some turning point where my perception is now my perception of my thinking or my perception of my emotions or my perception of my uh, views or positions or standpoints or whatever it might be. And I've got further and further away from the immediacy of the event. The further we get away from the immediacy of the event, the more, to use the Buddha's own words, the more we wander in the field of Mara. Meaning the more we... Mara means temptation, delusion, confusion, misconnection, not seeing clearly. The more we wander into that field, and the more further away we are from the immediate original perception. And sometimes we have, as human beings on this earth, sometimes we have long since forgotten what is what. We have forgotten what is what. We have forgotten what we have made of this world. We have forgotten what we have constructed out of it. And we think what we have constructed out of it, using the example I just gave, is how things are. This is a grave, foolish mistake. And therefore we don't live in the reality, we've lost association with it. We live in what we think is, it is. What we conceive it to be. We say, even the so-called self-evident is not so <coughs> self-evident. You and I say, oh, I look at the world around me. My sights, my sounds, my smells, my taste, my touch. This is my world. 
Anything outside of the immediacy of this world is a view, is a, a speculation, is an idea. And just can deal with what's happening. I referred to this the other day. From a personal view, poor human being viewpoint, it could look like, from my position as a human being on the earth, oh, I have a reasonably long life. I might say, I can say to my self or my friends, oh, Christopher is in his, now I can say, in his seventh decade. That doesn't mean I'm over 70, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Etc. I can say, God, I've had a long life. Whatever, I've made it this far. Or I can say, my God, my life, my perception of my life is, um, it's gone by so quickly. So one view that I take, I can say, you know, it's, it's a long life to live on this world. 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, uh, 100, etc., etc. At any point in time, I don't know when this life finishes. I'll give you two incidences from (coughs) this retreat last year. One person, dear one, said to me that the previous year and she spoke to uh, Jayaji and I about this. The previous year, she was all ready to travel to India. First time. First time out of her native country. With her partner. They were going to marry that year. This is two years ago. He took good care of himself. Man in his fifties. Diet, exercise, etc. And then, totally unexpectedly, he dropped dead. Massive heart attack. Just like that. I said to her, on this retreat last year, I said to her, apart from the terrible shock and the anguish and the pain and the hurt and the disappointment, I said, did you have any regrets? Because you and I may have, probably have, lost perhaps someone we have loved. And sometimes, when we have lost someone we have loved, we have felt afterwards, oh, I only wish I had said, I only wish I had done for, I only wish, I only wish, and it's too late. I said, when your good man died, did you have any regrets? And she said, I only had one regret. And she said, that regret was, we spent a lot of time together talking together about our future together and we didn't realise we didn't have one. (coughs) And sometimes in the the vulnerability of life and the moment-to-moment insecurity of life it's a reminder, it's a powerful event and metaphor as well a powerful event to remind us that we can't take anything for granted. I was in uh, uh, 
Israel in April. And so I let's say in October I spoke to. Great love of that country and I visit uh, twice a year. And a friend came to me and she said, Christopher, I want you to have this card. And it was a picture of a woman who uh, I know, who was sitting on this retreat last year. She had just arrived home the following month. That means actually in, uh, in March. She arrived home. The next lovely Dharma uh, lady in front. The next day she was killed in a car crash. One lives in this world in which in the day-to-day level, at many, many levels, you and I we can take so easily, so much for granted, as if, as if, there's some assurance, a guarantee of some perception about tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, what I plan to do with my life. And sometimes these events and these stories and situations of people's life remind us we can't take anything for granted, including our own day. What a different life it would be if that we really not only took that to mind, not only took that to heart, but really took that deeper than just the feeling level, really understood something about life. So sometimes, like with the story of the person who lost her, lost her loved one, it's a kind of realization of the emptiness of the perception about all this planning for the future. <coughs> Another way of looking as well. I think science, as it explores into the body of information that's available through research, through chemistry, <coughs> physics, DNA, astronomy, biology, the nature of matter, etc. It reminds us of what an extraordinary, so to speak, long-distance past there is. And how, in the movement and the interchanging of conditions, here we are, (coughs) as people on the earth. And how extraordinary it is, and we should never forget this, it is just to be alive. Extraordinary thing to live, to breathe, to feel, to think, to have stories, to see through stories, to go beyond stories, to look deeper into things, to to love, to laugh, to play, to connect, to be alone, to be with others. What is it in the nature that has, in its extraordinary capacity, has allowed this to happen? Itself is an extraordinary event. And there will be little authenticity and love in our life unless we really really break out of our habits and realise, wow, this is what we're living. 
And it's much more beautiful and profound than having an ownership and ego and I, me and my. And the scientist will say, in looking back through what we might call the long journey of movement, what they like to call <coughs> evolution, which is no relationship, by the way, to evolving higher species. This is all social Darwinism. It's nothing to do with uh, what the good man taught. That in the long history of the movement of the species, of the adaption, of the way things come about, etc., if, as we are told, it's a matter of X millions of years, or billions of years, in terms of the original formation of things, and the momentum that has gathered and brought us, you, I, us, to this <coughs> point. Our life, which we call, I was born, I was conceived, I moved through the field of time for X number of years, I do not know what percentage of my life is over. I have no idea. And I move to the end of the life, and maybe it's from, whatever, zero, shall we say, to a hundred years, whatever. In the scheme of things, in the passage of time, how long is it? How long is this walk on the earth? What would we compare it to? To say it's as long as a flash of lightning it's shorter than that. To say it's as long as the blink of an eye compared with the field of time going back hundreds and millions of years or whatever mm -hmm, it's shorter than that <coughs> and if we look from another perception not the perception of me, my and myself but from another perception it's barely barely anything if I <coughs> even if your mind's wandering you've got no choice now <laughs> It's a mockery of choice, isn't it? <laughs> no. so who's going to sit here and say, can't hear it? No interest to hear this. <laughs> <coughs> we say, my life has a beginning called conception of birth. My life has a middle <coughs> called <coughs> we're flowing along between the dark-haired club and the greying boarding club, <laughs> etc. <laughs> one of the things that one notices, um, I must, just a small incident. <laughs> I don't know about you, you get, as you get older. The hair goes grey, it falls out of the hair, out of the uh, head. And it starts growing out of the ear. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wondered whether it's kind of dropped out of my head and <laughs> there was a seed there and it started growing out of my ear. Because my barber now cuts my hair and he cuts my ears as well. And, that's going, and now it's falling out of my head and growing out of my nose. <laughs> anyway. 
I'm sure Charles Darwin could explain all that. But anyway. <laughs> so yeah, clap my hands. I look at my ordinary life and my ordinary perception. I say, oh, I have an X number of years. But I clap my hands from the sense of extraordinary time. Where is the birth, middle, and death of the clap? Can you distinguish? Oh dear. Oh dear. I have the view. I have a long or a short life from self. Stand back a little bit from the self and have a wider view of the scheme of things. I can't see my birth, middle and death. Whoa. What happened to change and impermanence? Sometimes in the exploration, because we don't want to be a prisoner to our perceptions. We don't want to say, my perceptions, how I see things is absolutely true. We don't want to say there is an absolute perception. We only want to be clear that a perception that we have is merely what? A perception that we have. If the perception is invested, which is a polite word for infected, <laughs> with too much, it will make a reality out of it which will become a problem. Understand? There's a perception, there's a recognition. Why not? There's a recognition of events arising. There's a recognition of being here, recognition of being human or whatever. If, from the original perception, there is an investment, let us be nice, into it, I begin to build up something. And there is some allowances in the nature to build up. They can build up a perception of beauty. I don't say, oh, it's just all energy out there, <coughs> or it's just a bunch of uh, uh, elements or it's uh, just name and form. <coughs> mm, it's too cold, Lisa, I mean, too cold to view life in, in that way. We'll, we'll leave those who have gone dead in their emotional life to say that. <laughs> so it allows for the recognition of connection, of friendship, of love, of warmth, appreciation of beauty, all of those things. But in it, when I put too much into the event, I give it more than is there, it makes a problem for me and probably a problem for somebody else or others as well. Because I haven't seen, I've added too much to the event. And this adding of too much creates the tension and the tension creates the sorrow and the despair and the suffering and the stress and the anger, and the negativity, and the blame, and the je jealousy. I've put too much into something which isn't there. It's not there. And our liberation is realizing the emptiness of the perception which believes something in problematic ways. 
see the emptiness of it. Buddha's teachings on emptiness are so beautiful to liberate us from seeing, imagining, believing what's not actually there. There is the self, the sense of I. What is this extraordinary sense of I? What, what is it? I can't show it. I can't even show it to myself, let alone to anybody else. At least I can show a cup and a, some lovely flowers that people have left and a tape recorder and a shirt from the famous tailor down the road or whatever. But this I can't actually reveal it. Yet somehow that which I can't see, I can't hear it, I can't smell it, I can't taste it, I can't touch it, I can't get it out for somebody to have a look at and say, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yet it's gained a substance, a significance, beyond everything else. Yet it's got nothing to it. And if I say, well, this I is permanent, permanent, that means I've gone through life from being a little one, whatever, and there's somewhere or other this sense of I started or arose, and I say, well, it's just the same I all the way through my life, just me, it's just me. Nothing else. I don't know what it is, but it's just me. (laughs) And it's moved all the way through my life. It's got continuity to it. It's got permanence to it. It's just remained the same. If it, this self, this I, this me, is just the same all the way through the life, it means nothing has ever affected it. Therefore, we're stuck. Oh, help. (laughs) Nothing can change it. I can meditate till the cows come home. It won't make a scrap of difference. Or even if they don't come home. Because I've got the view and I can't change. I am stuck with it. And with the way that it is. Trapped with it and I just can't change. But you and I don't believe that. We might not be very much interested in change, but somehow, deep down, hopefully, we don't believe it. Well, we might sometimes. (laughs) But if I say my perception is, oh, I'm changing. If I am changing, I look at the past, back to the beginning of life, we won't get ambitious about past lives, we'll keep it simple. If I am changing, then in the passage of time, I, I, remember, I am changing, therefore if I am changing, the old I is different from the new one. I'm changing. So I've got no relationship to anything. All it has been is Thousands of eyes, different from each other because they keep on changing, popping up, and this is the one that's popped up today, and God knows <laughs> what's going to pop up a little bit later on, God help us again. 
So I might have a perception I, I'm not changing, it's the same old I, and therefore nothing can change it. Because if it hasn't changed it in the last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, there's not much hope, is there? And if the eye keeps changing, then one eye doesn't have any relationship to the other. And therefore it's been millions of eyes popping their little brains, their little eye up, <laughs> all, all through the time, and there's no relationship. And therefore, no problem, there's no sense of responsibility. It wasn't me, it was an old eye. Got <laughs> <laughs> nothing to do with me. Don't make a connection. That was an old self, it came and it died. <laughs> So a permanent eye, perception of that, is foolish. An, an eye which comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes, is equally foolish. So a permanent eye and an impermanent eye <coughs> is a perception which is full of emptiness. <laughs> full of emptiness. Such a phenomenon, this life. Nothing is as we think it is. And it's not otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> it's <a> strange world. <coughs> I may say, I am what the Buddhist tradition wisely is called, mind and body. Mind here means citta, means heart and mind. I am mind and body. So therefore, I am, the self arises in relationship to the body, we explored this a little bit earlier today, in relationship to the state of mind, etc. <coughs> How come the eye keeps dancing around from one to the other? So in one moment I'm sitting and I'm saying, I am sitting here, and the next minute, I'm thinking, oh, what the hell is he talking about again? And the next minute, wonders if there's going to be another old apple for tea, or whatever <laughs> it might be. <laughs> this is India, we're into preservation. <laughs> and um, so the eye arises, is the eye which arises, landed on the body, the same eye which landed on the listening, and the same eye which landed on the thought. Extraordinary phenomenon. <coughs> and if that's going on, then the eye just moving around randomly. Here and there, landing on here and there. And we never know quite where it will land. We just don't know from hour to hour what this so-called I will land on. We can't have a view of permanence. Doesn't make sense. Can't have a view of impermanence. It also, equally, doesn't make sense. And if I say, oh, I am not mind and body, I am just I, independent from, separate from, show it. <coughs> Has anyone been able to reveal an I 
which is not around, wrapped up around mind and body. But it keeps dancing around. It only reminds us of a simple home truth. There is no true self. Period. We may want it. We can go searching morning, noon and night for it. We can go looking around for it. Here, there and everywhere. And one will not find a true self. It just bounces around with the rest of everything. <laughs> That's what it does. What on earth are we making such a fuss about? <laughs> what on earth are we so concerned about? This silly little I, silly little me, silly little myself, this is no substance to it, totally empty, ungraspable, unkeepable, insubstantial, can't lay our hands on it, and we think it's important. We are a strange species. No question. We are truly bizarre. <laughs> there is no true self. Nothing is <coughs> ordinary. Nothing is graspable. Nothing is fixed. And the preciousness of it is to see this clearly. It doesn't go over the head, doesn't land in the head, doesn't roam around in the feelings. To see this clearly, it's beautifully liberating. Wow. What a relief. I don't have to search for this true self anymore. What a relief. Dance of life is going on. I can view it as a long life, <coughs> as a short life, or even shorter than that. <coughs> Clap of the hand without beginning, middle or end to it. Whoa, lovely. <laughs> Everything is extraordinary. <coughs> I don't know if you've, uh, some of you are parents uh, in here. Not, not too many of you. Some of you will be parents. We here, we just, and Nadama and I were just talking about someone that we know. She was on the retreat here. Well, what year was it? A couple of years ago. Anyway, a couple of years ago. I think it was two years ago. And right after the retreat, she was off, I think it was to Burma, was it, or Thailand? Anyway, she was off to Burma or Thailand to take ordination. But, she's a woman. She fell in love with a man on a <laughs> retreat. These things happen. Been, it's been going on for thousands of years. <laughs> <coughs> Thank God. And right after the retreat, I hope, I don't if it's right after, but anyway. <laughs> there are a range of practices. And 
And right after the retreat, she made love and got pregnant. So <coughs> the trip to shaving her head <laughs> and becoming a nun had to be let go of, and she entered into another role. Bless her and credit to her for, uh, for that. I can say as a father here to get to the point. I have a daughter. She's been to India, I might say, when she was five months old. <laughs> my parents said, this is a different perception completely, you see, my parents and my partners at the time parents you know, had a different perception. They said, taking a baby to India, this is, it's irresponsible. I said, but there are a hundred million of them in the country. <laughs> Why? <laughs> What's the problem? And my, my view, our view was, taking Nishona, our daughter, <coughs> middle name is Satya, truth, taking Nishona to India was to get her off to a good start in life. <laughs> <It completed. coughs> Two perceptions of the same event. Yeah. So, we look at some reflection on this. And we say, we ask, did the father come before the daughter? Did the father rise, appear before the daughter? Not too close because it dries the throat. Thanks, Nadal. Did the father come before the daughter? And if we say yes, then there was a father without a daughter. Which means I was a father when I was two or three years of age. <laughs> That's not probable. <coughs> the father can't be without the daughter. The father is without the daughter. One might say, well, the other perception of this would be, ah, could the daughter become before the father? No. <laughs> no. <coughs> then one says, did the two of us, called father and daughter, arise simultaneously. They both came at the same time. So they both came at the same time. If both arose simultaneously, both came at the same time, then the daughter could not have caused the father to arise. The daughter would have had to have come before the father and then caused the father to come. Not possible. I can't say the father came first, because if so, then the father was around since birth. And I was a, I was a, a father without a daughter. <laughs> it's difficult. Obviously the daughter couldn't have come before the father, and it couldn't have come simultaneously, because if we came simultaneously, the daughter couldn't have caused the father. Whatever way you look at it, I can't, in my perception, determine which came first. And I can't say they came to s together because they arose together as two separate entities. <coughs> One could not have caused the other. And I live in a world of perception and roles and I imagine the way I talk and the way I think is how things are. I see it's just the view 
it's just a way of interpreting whether it's called the hand clap whether it's called the father and the daughter whether it's called the self and continuity all everyday ways of looking but I imprison myself to one or more of them I begin to give a substantial reality to one of those perceptions and once I do I will be unhappy period once I give more significance to the eye arising in relationship to the body I will be unhappy once I give more significance to the eye arising in relationship to the feelings I'll be unhappy or to the perceptions or to the thoughts or to the consciousness <coughs> once I see more than what's there once I've made a hyper-reality once I have pressure I'll have unhappiness not even my perceptions can give me an absolute valid perception of the way things are quite something it is quite something and so my whole mental construction is not where the truth is the whole mental fabrication is not where the truth is I don't know about you as someone who loves questions and loves inquiry loves looking into things I realize, maybe, hopefully you have as well, that in my human being, which is just again another <coughs> label, another description, it's an isolation of form, has no true perception to it. But in the arising of that, since I am a person with perceptions, feelings, thoughts, brain cells, mind and body, mind and brain, all working together, the actuality of it is there is some limitation because of the way I am made as a human being and because of the limitation of the way I am made as a human being it will mean there are questions which I can't even ask because I'm not made to ask them that way I don't know how to ask them there are questions in life which I don't know what they are because I'm made this way so my questions are defined to a degree by the way I'm made <coughs> so there are questions I can't even ask because I don't even know what they are I wish I did <laughs> <laughs> such is life yet I can raise and generate enough exploration with enough questions and enough interest for an inquiry which is liberating which frees the being up I can do enough for that and that's all but it's worth it the very joy out of the discoveries the joy out of the realizations is illuminating it is liberating it's genuinely freeing there's enough questions in the limitation of a human being to know that 
what that illumination is all about, what that liberation, what that freedom is all about. <coughs> and one just doesn't feel stuck or trapped in the perceptions. May all beings see into things. May all beings understand the emptiness of a perception. May all beings be liberated and know the joy that naturally comes with it. Let's have a couple of quiet minutes, shall we?